0: Morning church. Great to see you. Welcome everyone. So glad to have you. By the way, um, I was not in the meeting that named the couples evening out the love boat. I was not in the meeting. <laughs> Just wanted to put that on record. It's hilarious. We had a great family fun night last night. I understand about 375 people, kids running everywhere, laser tag, parents upside down in the corners. It was something. So welcome to everyone for that. If you're joining us online today, we're so thrilled you're with us. God bless you. We've been talking about secrets of the kingdom that are really hidden in plain sight. And let me just begin today with this uh this little story. This is from a movie produced uh, some years ago called The End. It was a it was a comedy starring Burt Reynolds, if you can remember that uh, old-time a- actor. And he plays a character who's been told he has a terminal illness, and he can't imagine himself dying a slow, painful death, and so he decides to commit suicide, but he's a chicken. And so every time he tries to execute the suicide, he, he panics and tries to find a way out to save himself, and it's in that moment where the comic momentum is, it's a comedy and so every time he says, one, one time uh, he decides he's just going to swim off the coast of California till he can't see the coastline anymore, and he'll drown himself. And he gets out there so far, and he panics. Again, this is the comic part. And so he starts struggling to get back to, to the beach. And as he's, as he's thrashing away in the water, he's praying. And he's saying, oh, God, please, if you get me back to the beach, I promise I'll give you 50% of everything I own. And he's just struggling struggling. He finally arrives back on the beach. He drags himself up on the, on the sand. He's face down in the sand. And then he says, oh, God, thank you so much. He said, I'm not going to forget that 10%. <laughs> and therein lies the humor. John Patton said money is something which buys everything but happiness and takes a man everywhere but heaven. Good perspective. Uh, Everything I've shared in this series, the principles and the promises that come with faithfulness in this category of our lives, all have the uh, assumption, based on the assumption that you have reasonable control of your finances. And if your finances, personal finances, are not in reasonable control, then that's where you need to start. A lot of these principles and promises occur in the lives of people who are actually uh, managing their lives well, you know, uh, and you've set aside poor choices because all of us have made poor choices financially. We've picked up discipline in this area of our life where it may have been lacking before. Priorities have been resorted where they may have been misplaced. And and so it assumes that you have a reasonable control of your personal finances. And if you feel like you're a little bit out of control with your finances, Financial Peace University is the best thing that we do here. In fact, it's the best thing anyone does uh, currently in our culture to understand better how to manage your personal finances. So I encourage you to embrace and get involved with Financial Peace University. Uh, we're in mid-class of that program right here, right now. So God wants you to have a good handle on this important aspect of your life. Three ideas this morning. Uh, I want to begin with the theme of today's message. Uh, And the title is Do What He Tells You. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to John's Gospel, Chapter 2. This is the first miracle that Jesus performed. He was in Cana of Galilee at the time. He and some of his associates... And his mother had all been invited to a big wedding, and so they're in this wedding. And I'm going to read the first 11 verses of John's Gospel, chapter 2. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word, so thank you for doing that as you're able. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, if you read this with some kind of pious view of the moment, you will miss what's happening between a Jewish mother and her son. This is a Jewish mother. She says to Jesus, they have no more wine. And Jesus responds, what the heck does that matter to me? Do I look like the wedding planner? I'm not the one who set up the arrangements. None of that. Now, she's not not only not looking at Jesus now, she's in his presence, but she's not looking at him. She's only looking at his associates and probably has her hand up (laughs) when she says, just do whatever he says. Something like that. No manipulation. (laughs) Hardly. Just do what he says. Do what he tells you to do. Whatever he tells you to do, it's fine with me. You, You get the moment? Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And you can hear some tone. Fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. The, The servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much, but you've saved the best until now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I mean, God inspired the reading of his word today. You may be seated. Thanks so much. <laughs> Jesus had no intention of performing that miracle that day, none whatsoever. His mother coerced him into doing it. And we have the story recorded. It's pretty great. Here's the first point I want to make it's simply need, greed, or seed. Need? greed or seed it'd be improper to do a series on stewardship and the blessing of God without conferring with 2 Corinthians chapter 9 2 Corinthians chapter 9 has a number of verses that are the teaching of the apostle Paul to the church at Corinth and the context of 2 Corinthians 9 is Paul is referring to an offering a love offering that the church at Corinth promised to receive take up among themselves in order to support the brethren in Macedonia who were having a hard time financially. So there there were some brethren and sister in Macedonia on hard times, and so they are going to take up this special offering. And so Paul is sending a couple of guys to Corinth to collect this offering. And basically he says to the Corinthian church, you've said that you want to give a generous love offering. I've been bragging on you to all the other churches in the region, so don't embarrass yourself or me by not following through. So Paul's commending them for their willingness to give and taking the opportunity to teach them about the truths regarding giving. And this is part of what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 8, you can see it on the screen. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or out of compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. So Paul begins this little teaching on giving with the most basic truth of giving when he says, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So there it is. This is the same truth that Jesus communicated. We rehearsed last week from Luke chapter 6. Remember, uh, when it came harvest time, the center of the field was harvest, harvested by, by those hired to bring in the grain. But those who were impoverished in the community could, could harvest grain from the perimeter, the corners of the field. And, and they would take a basket, and that's where Jesus said, good measure. In other words, fill it up, press down. Shaking together, running over. I mean, fill it up. Your sustenance, your livelihood depends on it. It's the same truth that Jesus communicated there. So this promise is not given to create motivation for giving. Given it shall be given unto you. That's true, but it's not our primary motivation. In fact, we, we want to resist the whole idea of giving in order to get in return. It's true that it happens that way, but it should not be our motivation. It should merely be the reward that we experience from a heart that gives in a genuine way. Did did you hear that? Now, understanding that's one thing, but actually living, living it out, that's a little more challenging. And so we realize that sometimes we get tested between what we need versus what we have desires for in a greedy sort of way. Need and greed are, kind of, are two different things you could understand. Solomon actually adds wisdom uh, to this whole question when he wrote in Proverbs chapter 30, if you'll see it on the screen, verses 8 and 9. He said, remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. So he's, he's saying that the extremes are, are not great. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you. And you say, Who is the Lord? So, in other words, if you have more than you need, then you you may just get full and forget that you need God. And that would be bad. Or lest I be poor and end up stealing and profane the name of my God. So, Solomon has said, You know, a healthy place is kind of in the middle of all this. You don't want to have too much or too little, uh, but the sweet spot's in the middle. So, it's, so he gives us some perspective on how our attitude and our heart should be toward the material world. Let me ask you this question. Is it possible for God to take care of you without money? The answer to the question is yes. God can take care of you. Let me give you an example. This is in 1 Kings 17. You'll see on the screen the ravens brought Elijah, the prophet, brought him bread and meat, in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook so he's not just getting an old crusty piece of bread he's getting bread and meat he's got bread and steak amazing um, and god didn't need money to provide it just needed a couple of birds later on first kings 19 he says then as elijah lay and slept under a broom tree suddenly an angel touched him first you have birds delivering food now you have an angel And said to him, arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. So now he's fed by ravens, and now he's fed by an angel baking cakes for him. Man has angels baking cakes for him. And, of course, this would be the first known appearance of angel food cake. The point is, without question, that God is committed to meeting our needs, but we're committed to using our, our money as seed. Are we as committed to that process as God is to meeting our need? God's committed to meeting our need. Are we committed also to sowing good seed? We all live in a, in a, in a culture filled with agronomy. I mean, there are fields, grain fields all around us all the time here in Indiana. And let me just rehearse what all of us know. I mean, it's just natural law, and it's also a spiritual principle. One of those secrets that that tend to hide themselves from us, but let me just say them out loud. The first thing we know about sowing and reaping is that you reap what you sow. Everyone knows if you put corn in the ground, you're going to get corn, etc. Things multiply after their kind. Like begets like. Kind begets kind. Whatever you sow, you will reap. Any questions? Second thing we know is you reap after you sow. After you sow. Someday when I have more money, I'm going to be a giver. Let me just say to you if that's your position, no, you won't. It'll never happen because you can't reap before you sow. You have to sow before you can reap. Genesis 8.22 says, While the earth remains, seed, time, and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night, shall not cease. This is the the, the laws of the natural world. This is what makes the world go around. We're all familiar with that. And the the point is that you reap after you sow. Here's the third thing we learn: That you reap more than you sow. More than you sow. In Psalm 126, it says, Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. What an interesting phrase. If you sow in tears, you will reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Bringing in the sheaves. Makes you happy. So the principle of harvest increase is so powerful that even if you're crying, as you scatter your little bag of seed, I've only got one little bag of seeds left. I can eat it and be satisfied today, but then I'll, I'll starve tomorrow. So I'm going to take the little bag of seeds I have. You've got tears. And I'm going to sow the, what I, the little bit I have. You may sow in tears, but you will reap in joy. Because not only do you reap what you sow you, and reap after you sow, you reap more than you sow. More than you sow. And it's elementary. It's elementary, but true, isn't it? We all know it. In God's kingdom, as in God's natural creation, you reap what you sow, later than you sow, more than you sow. One of my favorite quotes in this whole category of stewardship of our lives comes from um, a pastor who, who uh, is now in heaven, pastor of a great church in Los Angeles, California, Dr. E.V. Hill. And Dr. Hill said it very simply like this. He said, if God, if God can get it through you, he'll give it to you. If God can get it through you, he'll give it to you. Union Chapel did uh, some things in an historic way in 2022 as the year has ended. Let me just give you an update on one category. We had a 27% increase in the number of people participating in our church last year, 27%. That's pretty great. We also had a 48% year-over-year increase in giving, 48%. You say, well, we must have a lot of money sitting around. No, because we know how to sow. So all of the ministries that we did locally, you know, supporting agencies and special ministries to the marginalized and uh, building recovery homes and those kinds of things. Um, And and in addition to that, all of the missionaries we support in various places in the world and the churches that we've planted. By the way, we just had one of our planters, uh, Justin Hamilton in Phoenix, Arizona, Legacy Church, just launched two weeks ago in a local high school, and Justin had 375 people in his first service. This is the first service. Amazing. The rule of thumb is after your launch service, the first service after months and months of preparation and trying to get a core together and all the marketing you do, new church, come to check out the new church. The rule of thumb is that you fall off from week one, launch week, to week two, you fall off about 50%. So we're expecting about, you know, 170 people or so at week two. Well, there are over 300 that showed up the second week. Today will be the third week. It'll be interesting to see. Just, Justin is, uh, he's not normal. He's, he's very special. I've told him that when I, I don't believe in reincarnation, but if I come back in another life, I'm going to be him. I'm jealous of Justin. Of course, jealousy is one of the seven deadly sins, so maybe I shouldn't. Get too carried away. But isn't that great? All of that to say that last year we spent over $800,000 in local and extra-local mission activities. Things outside of our church. That's a great thing. Isn't that great? That's a great thing. That's an amazing thing. Even when I hear me say it, it's it's hard for to record it it's just great and that's a testament to your generosity so how is it do you suppose how is it that you can imagine that a church in muncie indiana would have a 48 percent increase in giving and then give away 800,000 of it in the same year what what is going on there what is going on Maybe what's going on is an evidence of the things that I'm teaching. It just could be, it could be that what I'm talking about, I actually practice in my personal life and in my professional life, and God actually responds to these things. Now, let me just say, second of all, it's on your outline, that God is after our hearts. He's after our hearts. This is a central truth. This is is one of the keys to the kingdom. It's it's hidden from us because there's so many distractions in this category of our lives, of material things. So, so So many voices, so many options, so many things happening that we can miss this important point. God is not after our money. I don't know how else to say it. I can use hyperbole. I can say, God doesn't care about your money. He's not interested in your money. He got, your money is irrelevant. You understand, God doesn't need anything that we have. God was getting along, you know, splendidly before we arrived. He'll probably be doing just fine after we're gone. So God's, God's not a needy God. So what is he up to? What, what's going on with this whole subject? If we know he doesn't need anything we have... What is happening? Well, here's what God knows, and here's the secret part: our treasure is actually tied to our hearts. Jesus said, "Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." So, whatever you treasure the most, place the highest value on in your life, that's where your heart is, your attitudes are, your thoughts are, your your motives live there. Your heart. And let me put this statement on the screen. God goes through our treasure in order to get to our hearts, right through our treasure to get to our hearts. This is, this is a secret of the kingdom. This whole category of stewardship and investing our lives in all kinds of categories and even giving, giving money that comes into our possession, this is God's way of actually getting to who we are at the level of our motive. And worldview, perspective on things. Because because God knows it's such a powerful influence on our lives, He uses the treasure to get to our heart. So, So again, God is after our hearts. That's the point. It's never about the money, it's always about our motive. So when God makes a promise, He'll fulfill His promise. As we fulfill the conditions of that promise. Let me give you an example. Look on the screen at Acts chapter 2. It says, Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now you see the promise there at the end of that verse, you shall be saved, forgiven of your sins, restored in your relationship with God, made fit for heaven. So you're saved. Well, what's the condition of that promise? Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord. So we we know that we know the condition, we know the steps, we know what it takes we call on the name of the lord and this is how we become saved become a christian person so we have the, we have the, the promise that follows a condition here's another example second chronicles chapter 16 verse 9 this is a verse that you hear me quote often in my preaching it just it's one of my favorite verses in the bible and it says the eyes of the lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him now think about that God is actually looking. He's searching. He's trying to find people like you and me whose hearts are for him. And when he finds people whose hearts are for him, he throws his power behind those people. This is an amazing promise with a condition. You have to manage your heart, position your heart, Renew your mind so that your heart, your perspective, your worldview is in keeping with the will and ways of God. And when God finds people whose hearts are like that, he throws his weight behind them. He throws his resources behind them. It's an amazing promise. But you see at the same time the importance of the condition of your heart, the motives of your life. And so God is searching and searching for generous hearts, hearts he knows he can trust with wealth and resources. And we just remind ourselves, God has all the resources of the universe at his disposal. I mean, I mean, he's got it all. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He could, could have been, owns everything on every hill. He owns it all. And so at the same time, he sees poor people who need to be fed and missionaries who need to be equipped and churches that need to be planted. And that's why his eyes are roaming the earth looking for faithful-hearted stewards through whom he can channel his resources into kingdom initiatives. I I just love that whole concept. He's looking for folks like us. So what I want to do with my life, our lives, is to posture ourselves so that God will notice. And if he notices us, boom, then you can have a testimony. Income was up 48%. We gave almost a million dollars away to help people find Jesus here and there and around the world. Glory to God. It's a wonderful thing. So God is after our hearts. And the evidence that he has our hearts is that we simply give rather than giving to receive. And we give because we want to bless people. We want to help people. We want to enlarge the kingdom of God. And that becomes our motive. That becomes our reward. That becomes the condition of our hearts. If all we hear is give and God will bless you, if that's all we hear, then what about our hearts? We'll we'll miss the point. Because our hearts, as we know, are naturally selfish and greedy, so we have to have a change of heart. God has to work it out. Remember the, the game of tag when you were growing up? Tag, you're it. And then, how many of you had to be the person in the neighborhood who had to reinforce the no, no t- tag back rules, no touchbacks? <laughs> you weren't the fastest gazelle in the neighborhood, and if you didn't enforce the no touchback rules, you could be it all afternoon, (laughs) because folks just touch you back. Let me tell you something about God. God never enforces the no-touchback rule. In fact, just the opposite is true. God always enforces a touchback rule. Oh, yeah, touchbacks. And here's what we discover in our relationship with God. Anytime we touch him, he touches us back. Anytime we touch him in prayer, he touches us back. Anytime we touch him in worship, he touches us back. Anytime we touch him in service, he touches us back. Anytime he touches, can you feel that? Anytime he touches us in our giving, he touches us back. Touch God, he touches. The Bible promises that when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. Isn't that something? Given, it shall be given unto you. Amazing. So God is after our hearts. I think you're hearing that. Last point, and it's simply do whatever he tells you to do. <laughs> what did Mary, the mother of Jesus, know about miracles? Mary, the mother of God, can teach us a bit about miracles here, even in this uh, somewhat humorous story of kind of twisting Jesus' arm to produce wine out of water. She knew what we must realize, that obedience to God's leading is the key to releasing his miracle power in our lives. Obedience to what God says. To say it another way, obedience is the seedbed for the miraculous. If you'll do what God says, God will release his power. If you do what he says in an obedient way, God will cause his blessing to flow. You've heard me give this testimony. It makes people nervous. It makes me nervous to say it out loud because I can fail at any second. I've I've walked with Jesus now over 50 years, and and I'm the chief of sinners. I got I got issues, I got problems, I got baggage, I have challenges in my life, I have stinky feet just like everyone else. I I'm not. I'm not all that. Uh, occasionally, someone will ask me, you know, I always wonder about people's motives when I get this question, what's your, what's your most difficult sin? Why do you want to know? But I can tell you that my top seven are the seven deadly sins. I struggle with these things, you know, gluttony, greed, avarice, sloth, lust. Did I say greed? There's seven of them. So I'm a sinner. You know, I'm a, I'm, just a, I'm a work in progress. I have a long way to go. And so I want you to know that about me. I don't mind you knowing. All of God's children have issues. We're just, we're just all wet paint. And so we have to come to terms with that. Having said that, to my knowledge... And so I say this with as much clarity of conscience as I suppose you can. Not once in 50 years, when Jesus has told me to do something, have I failed to do it? Jesus said it this way, my sheep hear my voice and they follow. My sheep hear my voice and they follow. I can tell you, having practiced this for a while, trying to hear God and do what he says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. I can tell you it's not easy. I can tell you it's not safe. I can tell you It seems like there's a lot of uncertainty sometimes when you do what you believe God's told you to do. And I can tell you that it's really good to obey God. It has wonderful benefits. Living in obedience to what God says. It's a good way to live. It's the best way to live. It's the best way to lead. It's just best. Not easy, not safe, not convenient, not predictable, but good, really good. So Mary, the mother of Jesus, isn't just twisting his son's arm to get some wine out of water. She's on to something. She knows this perhaps intuitively to be true. Just do whatever he tells you. Just do whatever he tells you. And friend, if you don't hear anything else in this sermon today, take this away. Just do whatever he says. Just do whatever he says. Do the best you can to discern God's voice in your life. You may have to... If it's a big thing, you might have to get confirmation from people that you trust. You may have to wait a little while to get, to get ultimate clarity. You may have to go through a bit of a process to discern God's best plan for your life, his perfect will. But once you get there and you're pretty certain you understand what God's asking you to do, then do it. Do it. Just do what he says. And it will matter in your life. Because the power of God, the blessing of, the eyes of the Lord are looking... Throughout the whole earth, for someone whose heart is willing to say yes in an obedient way to what God asks of them, just do it. (laughs) So, being a giving and generous person is the key to all the relationships in our lives. Saying yes to the voice of God is what matters. For example, you can't talk about a strong marriage without talking about giving. Can't do it. Can't talk about successful business without developing a generous spirit and a culture of generosity. You can't talk about prayer without talking about giving. You can't talk about parenting without talking about sacrificial giving. When my heart is right about giving of a financial tithe, then my heart is prepared to be a success in every other area of our lives. This is the way it works. Something happens through financial blessing that provokes the blessing and presence and power of God in all the other areas of our lives. And here's what I've discovered, that God can change us from takers into givers. He can do it. You say, well, I don't know. I've struggled with this my whole life. You know, I've always had a penchant for material things, and and I like to accumulate things, and I like nice things, and I don't know. I've, you know. I try to follow Jesus, but sometimes it's hard for me. I, I guess this is just the way I am. Now, there's no hope for me. Of course there's hope for you. I said it two weeks ago. Let me just say it again. If you're a person who struggles with material things and it becomes a higher value than obeying Jesus in this area of your life, there is one way that you can break the the power, the spirit of mammon off of your life, a dependence on your riches, material things. There's one way and only one way that you can break it off, and that's to give. You can't pray it away. You can't, you can't rebuke it away. You can't, you can't fast it away. You can't get therapy and make it go away. The only way that you can get the spirit of materialism off your case is to give. It's the only way to break it. Okay, now I know. Now you're just trying to manipulate me, trying to get, manipulate me into giving. You know? I'm, now, now you're going to say, give until it hurts. No, no. Don't give until it hurts. Give until it helps. Give until you're free. Give until you find joy in it. Give until it's a, it's the favorite thing in your life. You can't wait to give. You can't wait to be a blessing in other people's lives. You can't wait to honor God with this part of your life. You can't wait to see what God's going to do if you're faithful in this category. This is where the adventure is found. This is where the excitement is. This is where the, where the, where the joy and the passion and the, and the thrill of following Jesus is found. When you step out in faith and do the most outrageous things in obedience to him, it is so much fun I can't even tell you. It's a great thing. So be encouraged by that. God wants us to be generous, gracious, kind-hearted, compassionate in order to honor him. Amen? Thank you for getting it. Some of you have uh, these one of these cards in clo- p- close proximity. i just want to grab these. This is something I do every year because I want to just encourage you, put courage in you to take the next step. Some of you are a little reluctant, hesitant, unsure what to do next. On the top of the back side of this, you'll see three boxes there at the top. These are just three options that you can check. And I just want to go through those briefly. The first box there is I will continue to tithe. We have many, many hundreds and hundreds of people, families who tithe their income. And this is what Beth and I, we just checked that box. I'm going to continue to do that. Another box is I will start to tithe. There may have been something that's happened to you in this last month. as you listen to these messages or maybe it happened to you today. Maybe your husband or your wife have been saying to you, Listen, why do we keep putting this off? Let's do it. You know, when are we going to start this? Now's the time to do it. And, and your your conviction right now is I want to start tithing. I want to do that. And if that's true for you, then just check that box. There's a third option there that simply says I'll increase my, increase my giving with a view toward tithing. It may be in your heart now. You say, I want to tithe, but my finances are not in order I've got, to, I've got to sort some things. I've got to stabilize. I've got to get my priorities straight. I've got to get my disciplines in order. There's a number of, everyone has a story and everyone has a narrative. Everyone's got a circumstance. But in your heart, you want to be a giver. I will increase my giving with a view toward someday I want to be a tither. That's the kind of follower of Jesus I want to be. And, and so you check that box. Some of you, because of your circumstances, you don't give anything. You say, you know, I mean, it's embarrassing. I, I don't have anything to give. Well, actually, you probably do have something to give. Give something. Well, so it's embarrassing. You, you know, you give five bucks, you know, in the offering. Perfect. It's never about the amount. It's always about your heart. So give what you can. Give just a little bit. It, it puts you in the game. It gets you. It gets you moving in the right direction. If you give just a little bit, then give just a little bit more. You know, it just by degree. Work your way toward your ultimate goal and maintain your discipline along the way. So you can just check one of those boxes, put your name, address on there, drop it in the box on the way out. This uh, is perforated. You can just tear it off and drop it in on your way out. Or there's a QR code on the, on the front side. Just use that. Use your phone. Do it all electronically even better. And I'll send you a little letter on the backside over in the next week, just to encourage you, depending on which box you, you check, check there, I'll send you just a little letter just to say, I'm with you, I understand your intentions, God bless you, you can do it, do this, it's a great thing, because I want to help you take the next step in your, in your journey. You got it? All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that when we touch you, you immediately touch us back. So thank you for your touch on our lives. And Lord, we're reminded today that ultimately it all comes down to the heart. So remind us to keep our focus on you rather than on things, on you, rather than the lesser distractions of this world. It is so easy for us to fall into worshiping the blessings rather than you, the blessor. So help us, we pray to renew our minds, transform our hearts, to avoid selfishness and greed, and that we would be filled with generosity, sowing bountifully from a cheerful heart. Indeed, Lord, these are the keys to making our journey on earth an adventure of joy and purpose and blessing. So thanks for hearing us. We pray in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. Would you stand with us?